0: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window. This is the podcast that not only takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football, but brings you insight and analysis of the issues that matter every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me are pundits extraordinaire Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. On today's Transfer Podcast, we bring you news of a player that Zinedine Zidane has already targeted... For what is shaping up to be a summer revolution at Real Madrid. And with four Premier League teams in the last eight of the Champions League, we ask if a new era of dominance for English clubs has begun. We always like to start off on the Transfer Window podcast with some news. And Duncan has something so huge, he didn't even tell us before the podcast what it was, but it's a news line coming direct from Real Madrid. And it's about a player that Zinedine Zidane's after. Duncan, we're on tensor hooks.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is one of the players that Zidane has asked Florentino Perez um, to sign um, as part of uh, his agreement to come back to Real Madrid and side his. Uh... Charlie
2: McGrew! <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, that shows just how desperate Florentino was to get the man back. <laughs> um, the player is uh, Nabil Fakir, um, who. It's obviously going to be familiar to transfer window listeners as he was uh, very close to joining Liverpool in the summer. Um, Liverpool had a deal agreed with Leon for the player, but pulled out after um, they weren't happy with the results of his medical. The um, player's been in an interesting situation since then because Leon have wanted to sell him and cash in, but have been trying to get him on a new contract. Uh, so they could uh, guarantee a good price for the player, um, because who will have just a year left of contract at the end of the season. They've had complications in getting him in a new contract because he's fallen out with his agent um, over the the failure of uh, of the move to Liverpool, and doesn't hasn't wanted to sign a new contract with Leon until he was able to switch agents. Um, so uh, that agent wouldn't get any money from his new deal at Leon, and wouldn't get any money from any potential transfer. Um, Zidane, I'm told, has uh, absolutely prioritised this and is confident that uh, Florentino Perez will deliver him the player. Um, interesting in terms of the repercussions for Madrid's midfield in adding a playmaker, the a, a French national team playmaker. Uh, when there's you know big discussions about who uh, uh, Zidane will allow to will want to uh, move out of the dressing room. Um, a new Florentino Perez will want to move out of the dressing room. Um, additional bit of uh, news in terms of the transfer strategy. We broke on the, the transfer window podcast um, some time ago that that Florentino Perez's uh, priority for the summer window was to finally sign Neymar to Real Madrid. I've had it confirmed that Zidane is happy with that and has approved that move and, and told Florentino to uh, advance it. So um, there we have two uh, I think key figures certainly with Neymar key figure and I think um, Nabil as far as Zidane is concerned, Nabil is, he wants to be a key figure in, uh, in this rebuilding of Real Madrid. Um, in terms of price, I believe Leon are asking for between 45 and 50 million euros um, for the player. He um, should be relatively cheap in terms of wages because the the renewal that uh, Leon were offering were about, was about 3 million net. He'll obviously get more money than that going to Madrid, but uh, won't be a particularly expensive player on the Real Madrid um, wage scale.
2: Please also reflect on the consequences of that move? for the future of Aiden Hazard as well, um, who long linked with Real. Um, If Fakir goes there, obviously Fakir's an attacking midfielder who can play, um, he's versatile in terms of the way he plays. Um, Hazard also can play left, right, and as a number 10 in the attacking three. So uh, it's interesting that Fakir is the number one target to... Um, join Real Madrid in the attacking Mitchell 3, then where does that leave Hazard with regards to his move? Uh, I'm not saying i would drill out Hazard as well as Fikir. Um I, I would say that the um, Spanish press have been reporting widely that um, Zidane would like to get rid of Gareth Bale is correct. Um, however, as Bale's own agent said, um, no one so far, is willing to come forward and uh, pay the, the contract that Bill is currently um, in, uh, has at Real Madrid. So, um, you have quite interesting kind of dynamic there with regards to how things go forward. I'd say this as well, but for Kier, which is interesting, Duncan, and that is that um, Real Madrid have a long history of taking um, young French international players and turning them into superstars. And obviously Zidane himself, former France captain, etc. benefited from that as well. Not that he was in the same position as Fakir is now. Um, So I I would not be surprised um, that that would be the case, that Fakir would be one of the primary targets for Zidane.
0: Duncan, one of the obvious questions to ask about Fakir is um, how's his fitness levels given he failed a medical at Anfield?
1: Yeah, I think I think that's important when we're talking about Edin Hazard. Um, I think Fakir, as he used to be used, out wide uh, more, um, but coming back from uh, the knee problems he's had, he's lost a bit of pace and is now being used more as a as a central um, kind of playmaking midfielder. So I think. that tells you that the, the combination of having Azard and, and Fakir is a possibility uh, still um, under this new team. Uh, one other thing we should add is that uh, Madrid uh, on Thursday announced the completion of an agreement with Porto to sign Eder Militao um, in the summer. Um, uh, they'll pay the release clause for um, the Brazil uh, central defender. Um, this is another It's another story we flagged up on the, on the Transfer Window podcast some time ago. Um, he was uh, a target for Manchester United that Jose Mourinho had recommended as a younger, um, cheaper alternative to the more experienced players that Ed Woodward was um, barring him from signing. Um, and uh, United did not progress that to the point where they got a deal in place for January. Uh, Madrid came into the picture, and as we um, we said some time ago, they had tied down a deal for um, the young Brazilian who 's regarded as one of the top um, defensive talents around it's sort a of combination of pace, ability in the ball and a calmness in his defensive duties, which again. Interesting that they have that deal in place when there's so much discussion over Sergio Ramos's future, um, and uh, you know a big fallout between Ramos and Florentino Perez. And Ramos has certainly been one of the players that Florentino um, has wanted to get out of the club, um, and was um, considering bringing a hardline manager in to help him
2: get him out of the club.
0: Sergio Ramos player manager at Chelsea, Ian. How would that work?
2: No. <laughs> You know my feelings on Sergio Ramos, as do our listeners. Um, so, uh, no, Sergio Ramos. I think um,
0: he's heading for a-, a
2: chairman somewhere.
0: He's off to Japan then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Geography's never been my strongest suit. Uh, people will get that joke, won't they? They won't think I'm an ignoramus. Is that something else on the menu? <laughs> I don't know what you're eating, Ian, but uh, given that you're a part-time chef, um, (laughs) I can only imagine nose-to-tail eating, love a good deep-fried ignoramus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fine young cannibals. Famous West of Scotland dish, deep-fried
2: ignoramus.
0: (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to move us swiftly on. Based on the results of the Champions League in the last couple of days, uh, we've seen four English sides progress to the last eight in the quarterfinals. There's been a lot of conjecture and chat, uh, not just in social media, but from uh, media organisations, that this represents a new dawn for English clubs to begin a dominance of the Champions League as a competition going forward. Duncan, do you share that optimism?
1: But they'll have to actually win it first. Um, you know, it's 10 years since they've had four in the quarter-finals. Um, if we're talking about dominance in Europe, uh, there's only one country we have to look at, which is Spain, which has won nine of the last 10 um, Europa League and Champions League finals. The only um, uh, break in that being Manchester United's win over Ajax the season before last. Um, I, think it, I think it's very much overplayed at this stage. Um, there's no guarantee that any of these teams will, will reach the final um, there's a few ways you can look at it. You can say um, you can say they've they've basically just achieved what you'd expect them to achieve from a financial perspective. If you go to the uh, Deloitte Money League, um, you'll find that Manchester United are third in the most recent edition of that in, in terms of the revenues, uh, down from first because of exchange rate issues. Manchester City fifth. Liverpool 7th, Tottenham 10th. The two clubs above Tottenham are Arsenal and Chelsea. Therefore, all uh, four of the English clubs are in the top eight clubs in the world in terms of revenue. And therefore, reaching the quarterfinals of the Champions League is basically a powerful course. Um, I think you've also got to look at their performances in the competition as a whole. And... uh, well, you you can say yes. Exceptional uh, results for Manchester United and Liverpool away to get through to um, the quarterfinal stage. Um, it wouldn't. We weren't that far away from Liverpool being knocked out in the group stage. Tottenham Hotspur being knocked out in the group stage. Inter Milan making a, a complete mess of it um, to allow them to get through. Um, Manchester United really should have gone out to Paris Saint-Germain. I mean, as as we discussed at the time, a lot of things went in their favour, and uh, you know, a diabolical performance from PSG to allow them to get back from two 0 down. And uh, Manchester City have had possibly probably the easiest draw in the competition uh, in terms of the group uh, that they played in, and in terms of the their opponents, Schalke in the round of sixteen. sixteen. Uh, and you know, Manchester City have a history of um, getting knocked out against teams that they have better squads. Than. So they, they also have something to prove here. Um, so I think it's a bit premature. I mean, obviously it's a great achievement to get four through. You can't do any better than get the four through. But I think the time to, to start talking about dominance in Europe is after the competitions won, uh, not uh, before the uh, the draw is made for the for the last day.
2: I do think there's a degree of arrogance um, that um, people assume that four quarter-finalists um, uh, for England is uh, some kind of designation of dominance in European football. Uh, I think this season's Champions League has been unusual in the sense that uh, some of the, let's just say, um, Superpowers, the ones who um, r- repeatedly perform brilliantly, like Bayern Munich, like Real Madrid, have been exceptionally uh, poor. And therefore, uh, to suggest that um, four out of eight is in some way um, a marker for how England- English football has improved or has um, gotten better than their European counterparts is also um, not true. There's been some luck involved as well. Look at the Liverpool's campaign, as Duncan pointed out, in terms of the um, the defeats that they have suffered. Um, Manchester United uh, have been up and down uh, as well, as have Spurs. Um, and you would not have expected Borussia Dortmund to uh, have conceded so whimsically against Tottenham. Uh, in the last round as well, so I do I do think it's the case that um, we have to wait and see who actually wins the competition. Although obviously the English clubs are in a very good position now, whereby if the draw is kind, then you know they could see a team automatically in the final, because obviously it's quarter and semi-final draw. Uh, what I would say in terms of positivity, I thought Liverpool were outstanding in the Alliance Arena. In, in Munich on Wednesday evening uh, I think uh, our listeners will know that I picked out Sadio Mane as my hero of last weekend I think last night he he showed that again he was
0: absolutely superb with the two goals that he scored I wondered how long it would be before you, ban- you managed to bring that up Ian Well I'm sure there's a lot of people out there have, has got have got a sweep going
2: <laughs> and, and I hope that someone who's got 17 minutes has won a lot of money <laughs> um, Anyway, <laughs> apart from that <clears throat> it is the case that um, Liverpool... We shouldn't deny that you know, this, these are last year's beaten finalists. So regardless of how they got there and, and then how they performed, obviously, against Real Madrid, they have experience of doing this. Um, and what will be very interesting, I think, Duncan, is how this evens up the championship race for the Premier League title because we've now got Man City and Liverpool in the quarterfinals and the fixtures they now face will be pivotal with regards to how things work out for the title race. And again, it's, it just adds to what we were talking about earlier this week. It may well be the best or the the, the most quality um, league title race we've had in the Premier league, Premier league era. But is it now also one of the most interesting Champions League title races as, as well in terms of English involvement?
1: I think, I, yeah, it's it's definitely a point of discussion in terms of what happens in the Premier League title race and also what happens in the you know the, the pursuit of the top four. So that chase of the four remaining teams to try and qualify for the Champions League through their um, Premier League places is now affected by the fact that four of those teams have Champions League quarterfinals to play. Um, now, Jurgen Klopp took great offence this week Um, to Gary Neville suggesting that it would be better for Liverpool to be out of the Champions League and to be able to focus entirely on the Premier League um, in terms of their chances of winning the title and suggested the only reason that he was the only person who would ever face that question, it was only because Manchester United pundits exist I mean this is another of Klopp's ridiculous statements Um, you can look at that question two ways but it is certainly a valid question as to are you better off having less games and less pressure on your players, less physical demands on your players, or are you better off having the momentum of success in the Champions League? Um, so that it's an open question. What, which helps you most, focus or success? But it's certainly a valid question, and um, and I, I, you know. I don't understand why why Klopp took such offence to it. Other than it seems to be his default position at the moment is to get irritated about anything uh, he doesn't like. Um, hopefully that uh, that default position will have changed after um, Wednesday night because he, I mean, I, I'd said that Liverpool hadn't produced a uh, a performance of the quality they delivered in two thousand and eighteen this year yet. Yeah, I think Wednesday night they did exactly that. They looked like the team. Um, they were last year. Um, they were defensively very good, but they also were able to press, um, aggressively press Bayern in key areas of the field for the majority of that game, which is something I wasn't sure that he'd be prepared to take the risk to do. And I think, I think it's a very good sign for Liverpool that Klopp returned to those kind of aggressive, force the opposition into error tactics that got them to the Champions League final last season, and that it worked. So they can take belief from having gone to one of the great stadiums of European football uh, in a balanced tie and winning, and uh, and in the end winning convincingly. So you know, from that that perspective, you could probably say yes, this will help in their case getting through to the next round. Should help them in the Premier League because they they've looked like a team full of doubt. And lacking confidence and not knowing uh, the best way to play in certain games. Um, so, I, I would expect them to get some good results um, in the, the, the next Premier League games. What happens um, if they get a tough draw in the Champions League uh, and get knocked out is another story, um, but definitely open to discussion and something that any, you know, I think any, almost any football manager who has ex- proper experience of trying to win a domestic title and trying to win a Champions League at the same time, <laughs> would say it's completely valid and part of their thinking um, in terms of how do, I, how do I best manage my resources um, to deliver on both competitions and um, do, at some point, do I need to sacrifice some resources to prioritise one competition over the other?
2: What this qualification um, has managed to do is that it has split the um, the two clubs fighting for the Premier League title from the two who are not. Um, and I say that because um, over my experience of working uh, and speaking to players, managers, coaches, etc. When you get to the quarterfinal stage of a competition like the Champions League, which is obviously the blue ribbon competition in European football and probably world football as well, is that you immediately start to dream of getting to the final. Um, and in doing so, uh, the dream um, has to be uh, effect, nailed down, if you like, into hard work over the quarterfinal two legs and the semifinal two legs. Now, um, Tottenham and Manchester United are not going to win the Premier League. Neither of them is going to win the Premier League. Therefore, they've got opportunity to claim... The ultimate glory, rather than the Premier League title, which is still, as in my view anyway, that the Champions League title is the the ultimate in in world football. So they can probably, and without any kind of, you know, um, backflow on them, say, right, we're just going to focus on that now, as indeed Jose Mourinho did with the Europa League. In his second season, because he realised that winning that would get qualification for the Champions League, he gambled on that, and he gambled, and he won, and he got qualification for the Champions League by winning Europa League. So he got a trophy, plus that, um, you know, the shadow trophy that Arsenal fans always talk about of of finishing top four and getting the Champions League. For Liverpool, Manchester City, the stakes are higher, Um, especially for Liverpool. Liverpool have. A group, or or not just a group, a supporters as a whole, who I I think would much rather win the Premier League title than win the Champions Mm -hmm. League. They've done it more recently. They um, they've won five um, European Cups, but you know one Premier League title uh, in the last twenty nine years. I say Premier League, obviously, you know what I mean by that. But um, that's something which they would prefer to have. Manchester City, um, Pep Guardiola has been very, very um, ardent that retaining the Premier League title would be more of an achievement than one in Champions League. So what you've got now is, is a split in the, in the four English clubs with regards to what, where their priorities lie. And I think that was going to become very interesting um, over the quarterfinal ties because they will obviously all try to win through to the finals But... Um, I'm pretty sure that Liverpool, Manchester City, if they get a bad draw or a bad first leg result, will resort to type, and and probably prioritize the Premier League. Whereas with Spurs and with Manchester United, that's not going to be the case.
1: I think I think that's a very good point. I think you're right uh, for Liverpool as a football club, the Premier League title is is more important for the historic reasons. Of wanting to end that long drought, and I and I, I would say that therefore that probably most of the players would be in in the same boat, preferring the Premier League. They'll have had that um, talked into them. With Manchester City, I think it's more interesting because Manchester City players have won the Premier League. Um, all of them, uh, all of them, because Riyad Mahrez was the only signing this season. He's won it um, with Leicester, so they've got that. Manchester City as a football club have also got several recent Premier Leagues. Um, what most of the players don't have is the Champions League um, and what the club doesn't have is a Champions League. So I think if you were to ask Abu Dhabi what they want, uh, if they had a choice between the two, it would be Champions League every time. And I think if you were to go and privately, were able to privately poll the players and ask them if, if it came down to it, which one would you like to have? I think the majority of the players would probably go Champions League because Champions League is a bigger trophy um, for uh, most footballers in the Premier League. You're going to have multiple, if you're playing for a club like Manchester City, you're going to have multiple opportunities to win the Premier League in your career. You're not going to have many good opportunities to win the Champions League, even at a club with the resources of City. So there you've got another potential split, which is, um, what do the players in the dressing room want? And I would think uh, Champions League would be more important to City players um, than to the Liverpool players. <laughs> There's one other further complication in that um, the Manchester City fans, I think, are with Guardiola in wanting the Premier League because they have this um, this this developed hatred of UEFA, the kind of the whistling of the of the anthem and this um, campaign uh, that, in their belief that. A financial fair play was designed specifically to target their club, um, they they have a a reluctance uh, and an antipathy towards the competition and one that Guardiola himself has has, has commented on several times saying that the, the quality of support the team gets in home matches and they have at least two of those left if they're going to win the Champions League for the first time is poorer than it in, in Champions League ties than it is in uh, Premier League ties. So lots of little interesting facets to this as we uh, as we head towards the end of what should be a great season.
0: OK, moving on to the quickfire round, we're going to stick with the Champions League. Uh, we're going to look back over those uh, last 16 ties and assess which ones were the best. Duncan's going to give me two nominations, Ian's going to give me two nominations, and uh, Duncan's going to give me two nominations and Ian is also going to give me two. And I'm going to then decide which one is the transfer window performance of the round. So without further ado, Mr. Castles, would you like to tell me what your first nomination is?
1: I think Juventus's second leg um, comeback uh, against Atletico Madrid. Uh, probably the best defensive team in European football for years now. Um, the overturning a 2-0 deficit, which Juventus had never done in the competition before. Um, and the manner, the manner in which they, they did it um, was a great game to watch in terms of the intensity with which they played. Um, the, the the aggression and the speed they put into that match from the very start to try and unsettle Atletico. And you got one of the great individual performances of this um, season's competition. Uh, no surprise who it came from. Cristiano Ronaldo delivering a hat trick um, when it mattered most um, for the club, who bought him specifically for uh, games like that. And uh, you know, two great headed goals, and then able to convert uh, penalty under pressure, and, and and even added quite a, a fun little um, celebration at the after he scored his penalty.
0: I saw it being reported, Duncan, that. Juventus had added 180 million pounds onto their club's value as a result of that that victory, which would have paid for Ronaldo and his wages for the season. Shows you how remarkably important it is.
1: Shows you how uh, how remarkably um, creative some people get with their reporting. I would say.
2: I'd <laughs> I'd agree with that, Duncan. I would. But uh, the old back to the old shirt sales, isn't it? Oh, yeah, he's paid for his transfer through shirt sales. Well, no, he
0: hasn't. I think it was um, with what's been added to the value in the stock market of the club.
2: Well, if that's the case, then fair enough. The stock market goes up and down, Johnny. Um, I don't think um, that that's... I mean, Juventus have not exactly been poor in terms of their Champions League standing in the mm. last five years uh, where they got to. So, But listen, the, 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 I think Duncan's right. I think it was it was uh, a justification, if you want to put it that way, of the transfer fee and the wages paid to Cristiano Ronaldo for him to perform like that. And also, um, you know, a day after Real Madrid appointed the third manager of the season, their former best player, scored three goals against their bitter rivals, Atletico. There's a nice symmetry and irony in that. Just saying
1: on Cristiano, it's worth going on to Patrice Everett's Twitter account and having a look at a little um, WhatsApp conversation he had with Cristiano after the first leg, which he's he's published on on Twitter, um, with Patrice sort of encouraging Cristiano to get um, one of his former teams through to uh, the next round, and um, Ronaldo's response is, "We're, we're, we're going to pass, bro, home, we smash them. Uh, and uh, and he was right,
2: as he often is in these circumstances.
0: Okay, Ian, what's your nominee?
2: Um, I've, I've got to go with Liverpool, uh, Bayern Munich, um, Johnny, because a lot of people derided the 0-0 draw at Anfield as being um, potentially destructive to their Champions League ambitions, etc., cetera, et cetera. Um, I wasn't one of them. I, I, I thought that a 0-0 draw at Anfield, given... Uh, where we know Liverpool's strengths are in attack, and also um, defending-wise, they they managed to restrict uh, Bayern to zero shots on target in that first leg as well. So um, to go there uh, on Wednesday night and and effectively, uh, you know, do to Bayern Munich what very few teams have ever managed to do in the Allianz Arena, uh, dominate them. Um, I think there was maybe 10 minutes at the end of the first half and 10 minutes at the start of the second half where perhaps they looked a little bit vulnerable, but they still held out and and still um, remained um, defending uh, to the point, you know, obviously keeping their clean sheet. And then Saido Mane was exceptional uh, in the way in his finishes, as was Virgil van Dijk yet again. So superb performance and one, I think, which also gives um, Liverpool a lot of confidence and momentum uh, going into not just the friends of the Champions League, but I think also the, the, um, the, the last few games of the Premier League as well. Duncan?
0: Yeah, I think the
1: other uh, uh, top performance of that round was Ajax, um, knocking Real Madrid out and knocking them out in such style. Um, very good in the first leg, had to uh, endure... Um, having a, a goal, in my view, incorrectly chopped off by VAR, um, that would have put them a goal up in that tie. Uh, eventually, lost two one, and then went to the Bernabeu and uh, and played Madrid off the park. Um, just a sensationally good attacking football, relentless display, um, quality throughout the team. And I think you know we we, we talked earlier on about the english clubs only really matching their financial power and getting through to the last eight um, ajax aren't even in that Deloitte money league they're um they're way on a different page to um, you've got brighton in 29th with 157 million euros of revenue and ajax have 91 million euros of revenue so they're they're way 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 below most of the premier all of the premier league clubs in terms of the resources they have to work with but they have um of a brilliant team with a combination of uh, clever buys of experienced players and and uh, and the developing talents to play exactly the, the way they want them to play, um, and putting them you know on in the in the short window, and it is the short window in IX's point of view because they do want to sell them. They need to sell them to to keep doing this um, as early as possible uh, and having the confidence to allow them to play that way against the top teams. So I think. For me, that was the the
2: outstanding performance of the round was Ajax winning Bernabeu.
0: Round us off, Mister McGarry.
2: I think the turnaround performance of of the um, the round was has to be Manchester United's performance in the part of France um, to overturn a two 0 deficit against PSG. Uh, we saw how um, I wouldn't say they played badly in the first leg. Uh, they were poor in terms of their judgments and decisions which allowed PSG to, to get that two-goal lead. But the fact of the matter is that they went to Paris full of belief and minus 10 fit players who would have definitely you know been included, if not featured in the first-team uh, squad. Uh, and and they, they just overpowered PSG once again, um, who failed to perform on the highest stage. But I think we have to give... Um, a lot of uh, credence and um, credit to Manchester United for the way in which they played uh, with the belief and with that spirit, which, as I said, it's a little bit kind of jokey. Um, As journalists, we always um, kind of have this, you know, default line uh, for certain clubs. With Liverpool, it's the spirit of Istanbul. And with Manchester United, it's the spirit of Barcelona or 1999. And uh, I was pleased to see that that came up in the pre-match press conference. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who obviously had a massive part in the spirit of 99, um, simply just rode with it and said, yeah, we need to show that kind of spirit. And they did. They did. Uh, and for Rashford to score, uh, you know, a young man to score a penalty, to take his club through at the Court of the Champions League in, um, at a time was just superb. And it's something which I think we should all um, treasure. In terms of uh, agreeing with or at least assessing um, performances in Champions League this season, and so um, yeah, for me, Manchester United against PSG. I'm I'm not saying the first leg. The first leg was was not good, but the second leg, in terms I said, turnaround was definitely that one.
0: Okay, well I've heard the nominees and some outstanding performances there, but for me, being based in Scotland, uh, a country that has struggled to compete. Uh, At the very highest level in the Champions League, despite having some big clubs, I have a natural affinity towards Ajax, um, who have to win this uh, transfer window award for the performance of the round for me. So I'm going with Duncan. um, Just it goes to show you that with uh, the right philosophy and the right organisation, clubs from smaller leagues can still perform at the very highest level. Okay, it's time to wrap this particular transfer window up. But fear not, we're going to be back on Monday to fulfil all your podcasting needs to continue the debate we are all on Twitter and even have our own Transfer Window account at Transfer podcast, so give us a follow there if you want to speak to us individually of course I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane Ian is at GarboSJ and Duncan is at Duncan Castles if you like the podcast and we know thousands of you do give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a 5 star review as this helps us reach as many listeners as possible until Monday